Hello, and welcome to The Balance with Catlin Tucker, presented by StudySync. I'm Catlin Tucker. I'm an educator, blended learning coach, speaker, and author with a particular interest in finding balance, which I talk about in my book, Balance with Blended Learning. Each episode of this podcast, I'll be interviewing a different educator or thought leader to pursue this question of balance, how we find it both inside and out of the classroom, and why it matters. Today, I am joined by Dr. Sean Woodley, a decorated K-12 teacher, university professor, and best-selling author who wrote MC Means Move the Class, How to Spark Engagement and Motivation in Urban and Culturally Diverse Classrooms. So I'm really excited today to get to talk with Dr. Sean Woodley. So I want to dive right in and have you tell us a little bit about your journey in education and what experiences have fueled your passion for supporting teachers in urban and culturally diverse schools. Sure. Um, First of all, thank you so much for having me um, and allowing me to join you in this space. I, I do not take that lightly and appreciate this opportunity to connect and chat with you as well. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Dr. Sean Woodley. I am uh, an educator by trade, and I just love all things education. It's something that has just grown to be near and dear to my heart. I got started in education. Um, I, I went to originally. I was going to go to college with the intent to uh, be a musician, and <laughs> at the time, there was nothing that you could tell me otherwise. I just knew that I was going to go on tour and play drums for <laughs> somebody, um, and I got some really solid advice to make myself a little more well-rounded and to study not just music, but to study education as well, just in case that opportunity to go on tour did not come, which it did (laughs) not, by the way. Um, And so I I really, to this day, that was some of the best advice career-wise that I got. And getting into those core classes of foundations of education, educational psychology, um, it was really just fascinating to me from the outset um, and growing. And then especially when I got into my student teaching, it just became something that felt very good to me, if that makes any sense, just being in the classroom and working with students. Yeah, um, I got that opportunity to work with students from kindergarten, literally through 12th grade and, and that particular semester. And um, I got to teach and have my own classroom. And I started in a school that was in an urban school district. Well, it wasn't entirely urban. It was one of those large school districts where it really just depends on what side of the tracks your school falls Mm -hmm. on. And uh, the school at which I taught, uh, when I got my job, I was very, very excited. And I began to tell people, you know, I'm going to be teaching this year. Oh, fantastic. Where are you teaching? And I would tell them and I would get these looks like, oh, oh, you're you're going to that school with, and I'm saying this with the air quotes, those kids. Those kids, right. Yes, absolutely. And so I began to kind of take all of that in coupled with the fact that it's just this narrative around urban education and urban schools that you have to show tough love and Mm -hmm. that these kids need to be disciplined. I was taking that in, recognizing it or not. Mm -hmm. On top of the fact that I did not start my first teaching position in 
September or late August for that particular district, actually. I started in October, and the position was available because the teacher previously there had quit. And so letting all of that influence me got me started in education kind of, to be truthful, the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really... the My evaluations at that time, to be truthful, my... Um, my, my evaluations will show that I was a, a good teacher and it will say that my classroom was in order, but it was a very cold environment. It wasn't really conducive. It, it didn't really fit my personality. It didn't really, I didn't really make it the type of learning environment that I would want to be in, nor I wanted my students to become, uh, you know, just, I didn't, I didn't feel it fostered good learning and it just through some growth and through some self-reflective practices, I allowed, uh, I got the opportunity, if you will, to transform and really begin to change that, to really create a conducive environment for my students to be successful Um, I got into some leadership positions, went back to school to study full-time and uh, get my PhD. So I was teaching full-time. I was in school full-time. I still, yeah, (laughs) I was a working musician and working DJ. So I, I, you name it, I did it. Uh, But I had a lot of fun doing each of them though. Like I really enjoyed the learning um, in my PhD program. I liked being, I was still playing drums. I wasn't on tour, but I was still playing. (laughs) And uh, as I mentioned, I was a working DJ. So it was just a lot for me, but it wasn't anything that I couldn't handle. And I enjoyed all of it, as I mentioned. So were you teaching music or was your, what what Mm -hmm. were you teaching? Oh, you were teaching music. I was, I was teaching music. And then also I was in a, as I mentioned, a leadership position. So I was in charge of pretty much all of the educators and their development um, in my specific department. And so that allowed me to step into uh, a leadership role on the instructional improvement side mm-hmm. and begin to really dive, uh, get behind the curtain, if you will, for that and expose me to a lot of behind the scenes. And that, to be honest with you, kind of triggered a little bit of my curiosity for uh, teacher development mm-hmm. and some of the things where I, some of the places where I saw opportunities to help teachers grow because in that time I was still growing. I mean, I am still growing as an educator, but I felt that there was just a couple of particular instances that really shined a light on me to improve as an educator. And I felt that that helped me to grow very quickly. And so I wanted to help others to learn the same things that I was learning to have the impact that I was able to have. Um, And that really piqued my curiosity to go back to school to see how I could have an impact, what it is that I could study to help other educators uh, be more effective in their practice. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk about your uh, initial experience going into that school and feeling like you had to create this very, almost like that locked down classroom experience of like really strong management. I remember hearing when I was in credential school and doing my student teaching, like, don't smile, you know, you give Mm -hmm. them a little bit in the beginning and you'll never get it back. And I just feel like a lot of teachers get that messaging going in their first couple years and they're so focused on creating that really controlled environment that then they lose a lot of that 
excitement and joy that they were hoping to create in those classroom spaces. It's such a really, it's an interesting dichotomy to me, the the messaging and this reality mm-hmm. that we're kind of sending teachers into these classrooms to excite kids and, you know, engage them. And yet they go in with just like this idea of, I got to, I got to keep it under control. That's right. That, that is it. And that is exactly literally how I went into it. And I began to realize that with that, it was a it was a really it was an interesting time for me because, as I mentioned, that is just not my personality. It's not the kind of classroom that I wanted to create, and it also reflected a lot of my insecurities mm-hmm. during that same time because I was a 21, 22 year old coming into uh, an urban middle school. I didn't want to be perceived as someone who was younger than I actually was. So I wore suits every day for the first two years. I was 22 when I started as well. And I had that same feeling of like Mm -hmm. a total imposter. Like I'm not that much older than these kids. I have to look professional. I have to act super strict um, just to kind of create that presence that like I am in charge of this classroom. (laughs) Yes, it was the same exact thing. And, And really a lot of that, just that narrative that I let penetrate my mind, that insecurity that I have, it really just transformed things in, uh, in a way that I did not want it to go um, until I began to make some serious changes. And I saw a lot of excellent results as uh, you know, just from those changes that I made. So what unique challenges do you feel like, because I know you work with teachers all over, what mm-hmm. what challenges are teachers in urban and culturally diverse schools facing that might be different from teachers who are in other areas and different, different school environments? One of the biggest things, to be honest with you, is that I feel, not I feel, I feel, and it is reflected in the research that when we are prepared to be teachers, we are prepared in a very general way mm-hmm. that does not reflect the way that a lot of students in urban and culturally diverse communities learn. Um, it is very different. And a lot of times when we go into classrooms in urban communities, in culturally diverse communities with, with students of color, there we, we teach in ways that we were taught. Mm-hmm. And it, a lot of it reflects rote memorization, um, things that are activities that are not, they are very worksheet centered (laughs) or they don't have any opportunities for the students to collaborate, for the students to manipulate. And it really just goes against everything that those students know and how they make sense of the world. And so you're often met with just immediate resistance out the gate. And a lot of teachers, they get frustrated. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching this lesson. I know that I know this content. I know that I taught that lesson, but then when those data points come back, it doesn't show that. Or the students are disengaged and you have some students that will have their head down or having trouble focusing. Or if they do understand it, then those are what we fail to realize is those are students who are successful. And I'm saying that with the air quotes too, in spite of, not because of. So it's really just a difficult thing to take head on when that's what we're taught. 
And then when we do that in the classroom, we teach the way we were taught and the way we were taught to teach, if that makes sense, and it doesn't work, then it's there's something wrong with these students. Right. And and it's too bad because you know teachers go into these spaces and they their number one goal for most of them is to engage Absolutely. kids, to excite kids, yes. to ignite curiosity. So, you know, I do see a lot of teachers in my own work still leaning on kind of the the lecture or the mini lessons and the transfer of information in a very verbal way where they are talking and Mm -hmm. kids are absorbing. And then they do have the practice and application oftentimes in the form of a worksheet. What strategies would you like to see teachers working or using when they're working in these environments to better engage these students and teach in a way where it's really going to be effective for them? couple of different things. One of them is to recognize that some of the ways in which we were taught to teach are not effective and to really understand that there's a need to shift that paradigm. Mm -hmm. That is first and foremost, because if we try it as a hat, if you will, where you put the hat on, see if it fits. And then if it does, you might wear it for a little while. And then even if it doesn't, you take it off. That's a terrible analogy, but (laughs) I think you get what I'm trying to say. It can't be something that is temporary. It has, our paradigm has to be shifted completely in a lot of these instances in order for that change to happen and for it to be sustained. We have to, a, a lot of times when it comes to teaching in ways that respond to our students' culture, we often try to approach it in the idea of, okay, well, give me a strategy I can use. What lesson plan? And, and it's more of a thought process mm-hmm. than it is a set of strategies. It is more of a set of ideals than it is use this type of activity when you teach. So we want to really make sure that in these lessons, when we are teaching our students, when we are engaging in the learning environment, that engagement is the focus. Engagement does not happen with worksheets. Engagement is very (laughs) difficult to sustain with lectures. How, in other words, can we keep our students engaged? We generate curiosity. We create reasonable challenge, and we allow our students the opportunity to collaborate and work with one another. I, I like to use the analogy, if you, if, if I'm a parent and uh, I have a son, he'll be five years old and my daughter will be two. And even though that age range is very far apart, learning and maturity-wise, but it's it's very interesting to see them together because my younger daughter picks up on everything that her older brother does and oh, it helps yeah, her to learn. Mm-hmm. So she's seeing what he's doing, responding to it, mimicking it because that that psychological what's the influence mm-hmm. is incredible. And it really just goes to show you in that simple example of how when you put those students, whether you pair them, whether there are small groups, but you allow them the opportunity to learn from one another, to let those mirror neurons go into action with one another, with people who are there remotely close to them in age and maturity, and you can begin to see some wonderful, wonderful things happen in the classroom. Yeah, I 
You know what, as you're talking about watching your kids and observing your own children, Mm -hmm. I had a similar experience where watching my own kids when they're now they're 11 and 12, but when they were younger, just really observing how tactile and conversational and experiential their learning was, how curiosity driven it was, how many questions I fielded in like an average day was mind boggling. My goodness. Yeah, and they want to touch everything and they want to pull it apart. And then I think about so many of the classrooms that I see where kids aren't invited to ask the questions and to Mm -hmm. determine what am I curious about within the realm of science or history? Like, what would I enjoy learning about? What question do I want to answer? And what would I like to create? And who can I talk to in this room to bounce ideas off of and to kind of stretch my thinking as a learner? And, and I agree. It's, it's not just, it's not just single strategies. Although sometimes when I work with teachers, I feel like giving them concrete strategies is helpful, but it is this real shift in what does learning really look like? And are we creating spaces to foster authentic learning experiences for kids? That's it. That, that is, that is really it. It's real. As I mentioned, it's just a shift and it's hard because that essentially goes against everything. A lot of times that we've come to understand about being a teacher, Mm -hmm. but once we accept that and leverage that, the results from that can be phenomenal to say the least. And that just realization of, of watching your own children grow or thinking about your own learning and how learning naturally can take place. And then when our students get into the classroom, we tell them to do the exact opposite and wonder why we're having so much trouble. Um, I, I get a lot of opportunities to work with a lot of different teachers in varying, uh, serving varying communities um, in different parts of different states. And it's just, there are a lot of the same and common themes that run through many of these instances. Everyone is going to have unique concerns, but a lot of times it really is, there really are some common themes that run through them and it's a hard thing to accept. It really, really is. But when you can, and when you can capitalize off of that, you can really, really turn some things around for yourself and for your students. And you can begin to see those students enjoy learning more. You can enjoy teaching more and really make it one of those environments where you walk through and you can't help but to feel that energy. Mm-hmm. You just you just smile watching them because you're like, look at what they do. Look at how yes. excited they are. I know I love walking through rooms like that where I just feel like I'm beaming because the kids are mm-hmm. so excited to be doing whatever it is that they're doing. And often those spaces, the kids are, they're totally at the center of the experience and the teacher is really just kind of fostering and guiding and coaching. Yes. And I love seeing, I love seeing classrooms like that. Absolutely. So you say you see a lot of kind of common themes emerge in your work with teachers. And obviously this is a whole podcast about balance. From your perspective with the teachers you've worked with, do mm-hmm. you see specific imbalances that teachers are wrestling with in their practice, in their work-life kind of balance that Absolutely. come up for you in training when you're trying to support them? Absolutely. And I've whittled this down to four critical areas in what I call the elements of of urban education. And we're talking about a balance of awareness, 
we're talking about a balance of achievement, alliance, and artistry. I used a little bit of alliteration there to <laughs> help make it easier. But the alliance part of the, about it is how can we close, you know, that Vygotsky uh, zone of proximal development, mm-hmm. if you will? How do we get them from where they are essentially to where they need to be, that productive struggle? Right. And I help educators leverage student culture. And as I mentioned, how they make sense of the world, leveraging that to guide instruction to get them from where they are to where they need to be with achievement. The awareness part about it is how can we be self-reflective as educators and how can we be sure that we are self-aware? How can we be sure that we are really taking to account our own social emotional development and how we can help our students even be more aware of their social emotional factors to better help them to engage with one another, engage with the educator and connect and engage with the work even. The um, alliance part about it is the connection from teacher to student, that relationship. Connection and relationships are really, really foundational because with those productive struggles that you have, you're trying to get students over an academic hump, if you will. And the efficacy that is needed for that teacher to believe in that student and more importantly, for that student to believe in him or herself is really, really fueled by connection, human connection. And that student-teacher relationship can really provide the, the gas, the fuel that is needed to get those students over those academic humps. And then one of the things that I think is often left out of the conversation and not talked about enough is creativity, artistry in teaching. You have literally almost a blank canvas of how those standards and objectives can be presented, and you have limitless options with what you can do creativity-wise. And we don't, I think, understand how unique that can be in a profession, because if you look at something, and this is not a slight against anyone that might be like an accountant, but... (laughs) Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I totally you, see what you're you saying. You can't, there's only but so much you can do with profit and loss statements. But, right. <laughs> you know, with that lesson, you can really, really, I mean, you can just pour all sorts of color onto that and really lift that lesson off of the page and be creative. I, I believe that we are creational beings. And when you use creativity and More importantly, you get students to express their individual creativity, balancing that creativity, that awareness, that alliance, and that achievement. You know, it can be different from person to person, but you can really transform and and move the class as, as what I say from where it is to where it can be and beyond. I, I love what you're saying. And I, it's funny because I, the thing I love most about teaching and being in education is the the design, the creation part of it. Mm-hmm. And I work with a lot of teachers who I think feel so much pressure from initiatives or leadership to mm-hmm. cover specific things, to make sure they're going through particular elements of the curriculum, that I think sometimes they lose that 
realization or they they feel so stifled that they don't feel like I have the space to be really creative. Yes. And that's heartbreaking because if we lose the creative core that is being a teacher, then I think we lose the most rewarding part of being in this profession. Because like you mm -hmm. said, every lesson can be your blank canvas. Um, you can craft it so that you're meeting the needs of these individual beings in your room. And I want to make sure that teachers still, they always feel they have the flexibility to be creative, that that's mm -hmm. not lost in this mad rush to cover content and stay on pace with a guide, a pacing guide, or prepare kids for some arbitrary test. It's, it's a real interesting struggle in education that I see when I'm looking from the outside in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is something that I realized when I was in the classroom just the opportunity to create and be creative mm -hmm. was really cool. And I, I use this analogy. Well, it's not really an analogy. It's a truth. But if you think about, think about a billion dollar organization like Ikea, right? Ikea is a company that capitalizes off of human creativity because when you go into that warehouse and you're walking through all of those aisles, that maze, <laughs> if you will, yep. and you see all of these end tables and chest of drawers and bed frames and all these different things to just take your apartment or your house and make it look really, really nice. But then you go downstairs into that that where warehouse yeah, part warehouse. of it. Yep. Yes. And now you have to put all of those individual boxes on that flat, <laughs> drag it out to your car, and then go home and put all of it together yourself. Right. Like you can very easily go to another furniture store where everything is already assembled and all you have to do is get it delivered. But a business like IKEA capitalizes off of human creativity because you have to do the work. You have to breathe life into that end table. You have to breathe life. I, I have in both of my kids' rooms, I built them from Ikea a <laughs> set of drawers. And every time I walk in there, I have pride because I built that. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. Like it's it's natural. We are creational beings. You have the opportunity to take that bland standard and breathe life into it. That is such an interesting way to put it because you do, you walk through Ikea in that maze and you see all the rooms all set up. They're colorful, they're designed. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I would love that in my house or yep. I want to create that environment. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. you go to the warehouse and then, you know, the, the onus is on you to figure it, it out and put it together and sweat and be a little frustrated mm -hmm. <laughs> and then make your, you know, chest of drawers or create your kid's room or whatever. And Absolutely. yeah, I, I think teachers have, just like students, have so much information at their fingertips. There's so many resources online. There's so many technology tools. There's so much they can pull from to create really dynamic learning experiences. And I think some teachers get really excited about that. And some teachers mm -hmm. get really overwhelmed by that because they're like, oh, yes. oh, I don't even know where to start. And I'm like, start anywhere, start small, but just mm -hmm. pull it together and yeah, really start to see what helps to excite your kids and create this space where you enjoy being there, they enjoy being there, and hopefully everybody's learning together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I really like what you mentioned too about just in, in some of the instances where there's a lot of pressure and it stifles, like creativity in those instances is one of the first things to go. Absolutely. 
And I literally last week, I was working with a teacher in a particular school district that has been having some trouble. Mm -hmm. And I asked her in no uncertain terms, like, you know, are you a creative person? Do you see the opportunities for you to be creative? And she told me, frankly, yes, I do. But the pressure that I'm getting doesn't allow me the opportunity to feel comfortable doing it. And, and I was really saddened in that instance to, to hear that because I felt like this is missing out on a key opportunity for this educator to really, really do some phenomenal things with those students who have the privilege to be in her presence. And, and it was causing her to not enjoy what she was doing, which now is going to trickle down to those students. Oh, yeah. Sad. Well, and I'm I'm working on my doctorate right now, and I'm mm -hmm. studying teacher engagement. And the link between teacher engagement and student engagement is very clear in the research. And mm -hmm. so if we have teachers who feel so, so much pressure and feel so stifled that they're not engaged, they're not enjoying, they're not satisfied with their position, that absolutely has an impact on students. So I feel like leadership, school districts, we need to start thinking about what are we asking of these teachers? Are we allowing them to be creative? Are we allowing them agency and autonomy in these spaces mm -hmm. so that they enjoy their work? Because quite frankly, we need to keep really incredible people in this profession. There are so yes. many folks leaving education. There are so many education programs that are starting to contract because you know what? It's not an easy job. So if you take away the best parts of it, which mm -hmm. is like time to connect with kids and, 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 and the opportunity to be creative and design, well then what is, what is attractive about coming into this profession? If you yes. are just going to feel a bunch of pressure to check boxes and prepare kids for tests, that's not a great incentive <laughs> to come into Absolutely. teaching. Absolutely. Um, so I know you wrote a best-selling book, MC Means Move the Class, How to Spark Engagement and Motivation in Urban and Culturally Diverse Classrooms. And I'd mm -hmm. love to know what inspired you to write this book? Because I know every book I've written has been inspired by my work with teachers or my experiences with students. So what drove you to, to want to write that book? This book came from my journey and research and growth as an educator and what happened was that as I was growing as in my entire practice in, in the K-12 setting, I was also, as I mentioned earlier, a working musician and a DJ. Right. And so there were a lot of instances, particularly on weekends, where I would pull up to the school and in my trunk, I would have two turntables. And so <laughs> after work, I would go from the classroom literally to the club. And I would DJ, whether it was um, a, a local club or on Saturday, sometimes it would be weddings, you know, bar mitzvahs, any sort of party, retirement party, you name it. If they needed music, mm -hmm. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And so I, be, I was growing as a teacher and I was growing as a DJ at the same time. And I began to realize that in my practice, in both of those professions, there were a lot of similarities. And so some of those similarities included me being in a one-to-many environment, mm. me being a source of motivation, whether it was in the classroom, I was the reason I was a motivating factor in you learning this content or if I was at a nightclub, I was the reason and source of motivation for you to move and dance. Right. I curated 
specific content, I chose what I was going to teach and how it was going to be presented. Or in that nightclub setting, I chose specific songs, positioned them in certain ways, and I made in both roles decisions in real time. You, you know how it can be as an educator when something isn't quite landing the way that you thought. Mm-hmm. Now you have to make a real time decision to go in a different direction. Or you see that something, a, a student might be having trouble with something. So in that moment, you have to make a real time decision as to what intervention is going to be put into place to keep that student on pace with where you know he or she can go. And the same thing in the club or nightclub setting. I'm making real time decisions with what song is going to land. I know, okay, I want to play these four or five songs upcoming next, but let's say the third one doesn't quite land the way I thought. All right, now let's go in this direction and turn turn the party up and keep it going a little right. bit more. So you're like, too many I, people I, are going for a drink right now. Yes, I need to change things up. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we need we need to get them back. So just that that correlation between those two professions really fueled the. It's a recurring theme throughout the book, and and being the MC in the classroom and being the MC as a DJ, if you will. Um, one of my kind of a favorite and iconic songs, uh, is, uh, it's a hip hop song. I grew up in New York and this, uh, MC and DJ duo named Eric B and Rakim, they had a song in the eighties and it was called Eric B is president. And what happened is, is in the second verse, there's a part where he talks about how MC means to move the crowd. MC oh. is a common, you know, master of ceremonies, mic controller. There are different uh, right. renditions of what it means, but for him, it meant to move the crowd. And and that really stood out to me because that is not just that word MC, it's not a title. In that sense, it's a responsibility. So what I took I from that. that is it's not to move the crowd, but move the class. And I created that model of the awareness, the alliance, the artistry, and the achievement, balancing those four elements to move the class from where they are to where they have the potential to go and beyond. That is very cool. And I love that that analogy, for me, it's such a energetic, positive one mm-hmm. that, you know, moving the crowd, moving the class. And, mm-hmm. you know, what is that? Is it physical movement? Is it moving them in terms of progress? Is it moving mm-hmm. them in terms of some kind of like an emotional, you know, response to what they're learning? Like, I just, I think it's, it's a really powerful way to think about our work and, and, and the massive responsibility that we have in classrooms mm-hmm. to really move kids on a lot of different levels. Yes, that's it. That Very is exactly neat. it. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so one of the things when I was checking out your your work online is I know you do deal with teachers who are facing classroom management issues. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because this is something I hear a lot about in my work with teachers as well. And it's one of those things I didn't struggle with very much as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of classroom management challenges. And so I didn't spend a lot of time designing strategies to deal with it because it wasn't a huge issue. So sometimes when teachers ask me, like, you know, we talk about blended learning and kids working in small groups on their own while the teacher's over here. And mm-hmm. and that makes folks really nervous because they're like, wait, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not controlling the entire class, I'm going to have management issues. What would you suggest? And I, and mm-hmm. I know that classroom management can be such a frustrating and exhausting part of this job. And it mm-hmm. robs teachers of the time and energy that they really want to be putting into the learning that's happening in classrooms. So, 
when you're working with teachers who are facing challenges, maybe because kids all have felt like school's not super relevant, they're already yes. feeling a little checked out. Like what what do you what do you suggest those teachers do who are struggling with management? Are there strategies or are there things you ask them to think about and consider mm-hmm. to encourage them to kind of get those kids back into the class, into the community wanting to learn, leaning in? Absolutely. One of the very first things that I try to help and I try to help with and put their mind at ease is that essentially when there are classroom management issues, a lot of teachers take it personally. Mm-hmm. Classroom management, for whatever reason, is just one of those subjects that is not taught. A lot of times you'd be surprised as to how many teachers have not had a course on classroom management and what it means to manage the learning environment effectively. So right out the gate, you're coming in behind the eight ball. And so I try to help them to understand it's okay. You, I can't really have a reasonable expectation for you to be masterful at something you may have never been taught. Um, or if, if you were, it might've been a lot of times it's a part of a discussion for a class one day, or it might be, um, a chapter that you read, but it's never really in all of its elements and in all that in classroom management encompasses a lot of times it's just never taught. So that's first and foremost. Yeah. I don't think I ever had a class on classroom Mm -hmm. management in credential school. Yep. Yep. So it, uh, you know, it's just really like you can begin to understand, okay, I, I, I can see. So now you can say, all right, well, now what, it is, what is it that I need to learn? And so here we can have a couple of different conversations um, with a couple of, a few things. When, especially with urban schools um, or culturally diverse dealing with students of color, a lot of times there are cultural there are cultural norms and practices that can differ and cause static, cause problems, if you will, mm-hmm. that sometimes we're just not aware of. Culture in, to be very general, it's a set of unwritten rules. And so when you have the teacher who may have grown up in a particular way, then you have the students who may have grown up in a particular way, completely immersed in their own environments, growing up with a set of unwritten rules, mm-hmm. and you bring them together, there tend to be a lot of different violations, if you will, well-intended actions, but violating one another's cultures in some way, shape, or form, but these rules are unwritten. So it now has an emotional charge to it. I'm offended. You're offended. Now we have a problem. That's very, very high level and a simplified version. But a lot of it can be traced back to some sort of a cultural violation that the student and or the teacher felt in some way, shape or form. Um, I I like to when I when I help teachers with this, I use the instance or example of if you've ever stood in a fast food line, let's say you're at the counter for some Wendy's and someone steps behind you and it's just a, a little too close. A little we too all, close. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all have that three to four foot bubble mm. around us that is our personal space. Don't come inside my personal space. 
that was something that I'm willing to bet no one ever taught you. Don't let someone get within 36 inches of you. Right. Like that it's an unwritten rule. But when someone comes inside that space, it's a, there's a certain level of an emo- It might be low, but there's a certain level of reaction and emotional charge that instantly happens with that. Oh, Think and a of, response, right? Oh, like yeah, as soon as somebody gets too close to me, I'm like a little bit of side eye. Like what's mm-hmm. happening? Why are you so close to me? So that's a that's great it. example. That that is it, and it really there are a lot of things that happen like that regularly when there are cultural differences. So I try to help educators understand that we have to just go outside of our particular culture and comfort zone and really begin to understand the cultures of the students we serve. And here's something else. A lot of times, and I was guilty of this as well, being a black male teaching in an urban school, there are cultural differences there as well. Because it is very easy to assume that because I am black and most of the students that I taught were black, culturally we were the same. That's not always true. Yeah, that's a really that's a really important point. And I, it reminds me like th- this is so sensitive, you know, mm-hmm. you don't teachers never want to offend students. And mm-hmm. and I don't think students are trying to offend each other most of the time. It is that kind of those unwritten rules and you there are all these missteps and you don't even realize you've necessarily had a misstep and yes. your comment earlier about forming relationships and and part of forming relationships with students is about opening the door to really open and honest communication. Mm-hmm. And so just acknowledging that sometimes things are going to happen in here. We all have such different backgrounds when things make you uncomfortable when something hits you the wrong way like we need to create a space where we can talk about that whether that's mm-hmm. one on one as teacher student like that's it feels like that's the probably one of the best ways to try to address these things so they don't build that static doesn't build in a classroom but instead it. it becomes a space where we can work through things and talk through things cuz even i was just coaching in south carolina um last week and the the folks in South Carolina are so darn polite. I got yeah, <laughs> I got yes, ma'amed all over the place. Yes. And even yes. going into classrooms with these students who were just like yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And I thought, I wonder how my relaxed California, mm-hmm. you know, verbiage and the way mm-hmm. I address people and interact with people. I wonder how that hits these adults and these yeah. students who obviously have a very different way of engaging and showing respect to people. So it's it's just interesting. You never know. And and obviously I wasn't there long enough to sit down and say, so how, how do you feel about this? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think we have to create those spaces in culturally diverse classrooms where conversation and being honest about those things are part of the classroom culture. Yes. It takes a certain level of self-awareness and vulnerability, to be frank, but it is something that can truly help you grow as a person and definitely as an educator. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on your website, and and I'm going to put a link to your website and your book at the bottom of the show notes so everybody can check them out. You talk about teacher lifestyle hacks, which I just mm-hmm. love that phrase. So <laughs> can you share one or two of like what you mean or your favorite lifestyle hacks for teachers? Sure. One of the components that I mentioned earlier in that model, if you will, of achievement, alliance, awareness, and artistry. One of the subtopics, if you will, of that awareness is awareness of self and the health factors with it. I am someone who is ashamed of how much Chinese food that I used to eat. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I just, uh, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you. I would, I would walk in and they would say the regular, oh, no problem. Like I was that familiar. They with know the your Chinese name. Spot. Yes. <laughs> and so as delicious as it was, there were some serious health consequences that came along with that. And I had to begin to make some changes. One of the things that I do daily is I am a big green smoothie fan. Like Ooh, me I love a green and, smoothie. Yeah, yes. me and my Nutribullet, we're, we're like this. Nice. Yeah, and so I just, and it doesn't take long. It seems like, like when I was really doing some initial research into, okay, what are some good changes that I can make? And I began to kind of come across the literature and some different information uh, on juicing. And, you know, you, know, buy, you buy a juicer and mm-hmm. then it, it makes all this mess. And I, I'm not doing all that. So <laughs> fortunately, I ran across a Nutribullet. And really, I love that because it's just something where you put everything inside, it blends it up nice and smooth, and the outcome, it's, it's you rinse it out and you're done. You're good. Right. So it allows me to be quick and efficient. I usually make mine with spinach or some sort of like leafy green combination, if you will, the power mm-hmm. greens, mm-hmm. change it up. And I use frozen tropical fruit. So it already comes in chunked, sliced, ready to go, and when it's blended, it's now cold. Right. So just that, some water, and I get my day started like that every day so that I am beginning my day with that and some water. I'm pouring energy literally into my body so that I can get up and get this thing going. Right, because in education, it is crucial to figure out how you are getting that energy into your body because yes. it's so exhausting on so many different levels. And mm-hmm. I, like you, start with a, a green experience in the morning. I actually nice. got into like a, an algae powder. So I also really? add that. I'm not going to lie, Sean, it does not taste good. It, <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like it is nourishing me from like the inside out. Yeah, so I, yeah. I drink it every single day. Um, it's funny absolutely. when you drink it, you can kind of feel just like, oh, my, yeah. I'm, I'm recharging and you can feel the, the atoms in your body just like um, just getting electronically charged. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, self, the whole realm of self-care. Like I think we mm-hmm. all know we need to do it, but it's so easy to neglect. So mm-hmm. when you when you're working with teachers, do you have advice for them? Just like little tips where you say, you know, it's it's so important for you, especially working in this really demanding space, to mm-hmm. take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically. Are there other things that you encourage them to think about or do to try to nourish themselves? Absolutely. I just um, facilitated a workshop. Uh, what's today? Maybe two days ago in uh, in Florida. I, I, I call it the Educator Wellness Revolution. Mm. And and one of the things that I teach in this workshop, specifically designed for educators in high stress environments, which we all can be, right. is understanding the power of your morning and how you get your day started can really direct how everything else falls into line after that. Um, a couple of the things that I show and expose them to are, number one, one of the first things that we do is many of us, we get up in the morning with some sort of an alarm. Right. Now, that might seem like common sense. Well, of course, you know, you get the alarm, you set it for 5.30, 6.15, whatever time it is that you wake up, you hit snooze seven or eight times until you finally get out of the bed. Mm. 
But what can happen is that alarm nine times out of 10, it shocks you out of your sleep <laughs> like, to the point where it's almost physically painful. And so, you know, it's just really something that I, I, I've introduced them to an app that I use and it's a really cool app. It's called sleep cycle. And what this does essentially is it uses the phone's microphone and listens while you sleep. And we all sleep in sleep cycles or patterns Mm -hmm. that can be roughly 30 to 45 minutes. And usually in your sleep, when you turn over or adjust yourself, you're between sleep cycles. And of course, there's some noise that comes along with that. And so when you set that alarm for that specific time, let's say it's a, a 6.15 alarm, the app creates a range back 30 minutes. So 6.15 to 5.45. Whenever you are between sleep cycles in that 30-minute range, there's a nice melodic soft sound (laughs) that will now take you from between sleep cycles to gently wake you up instead of being something that jars you out of your sleep to a state where now your heart is racing. So just getting up and then taking some time once you actually get up to make sure that the first thing you're not worried about is taking care of someone else because we have, a lot of us have kids, pets, things that we have to do. So we immediately go into feed the kids, get the kids dressed, get them out the house, walk the dog, do all these things. We pour into others before we take time to pour into ourselves. So take the time to get up. You already have to get up. So take the time to get up and spend some time with yourself. If it's 10 minutes, if, it, if you can do 30 minutes and really take some time, I meditate in the morning. I write down some affirmations and express gratitude to really make sure that I'm centered and ready to take on my day, then I'm prepared to be my best self for my wife and for my kids to help get them ready for their day. And that can really set the tone for a phenomenal day, which can set the tone for a phenomenal week, which can set the tone for a phenomenal month. And in 180 days, that can be a really (laughs) transformational year. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And actually I, I have used that exact app myself. And Mm -hmm. now that I have like a Fitbit that I will wear, you can do the same thing, which is say, this is like my target. And then as Mm -hmm. soon as you get restless, it kind of wakes you up. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I agree. So many people hit that, uh, that snooze alarm. And I always think like, you're not getting real great sleep in those intermittent, like, Oh, I fall asleep between the alarm. Like just (laughs) get up and like, have a, have some quiet moments, enjoy your coffee or your tea Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that you enjoy in the morning. And yeah, just get a little grounded because it is so easy to just jump out of bed and dive headlong into your day and not even have like a moment for yourself. So thank you so much for joining me today. This was really a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you taking the time um, to chat with me and, and share all this great information for the folks who are listening. I appreciate you having me and inviting me into your space. I really enjoyed it myself. Thank you.
So as I think about our conversation, I was really struck by the analogy that Dr. Woodley made between being an MC in a dance club and teaching. That just really resonated with me because it's such a, being an MC in a dance club feels like such an energetic, exciting position to be in. And that's how I want teachers to feel because ultimately we are there to motivate and move people. We have to curate resources and be creative in our approach to keep kids engaged. And if we're losing the crowd or we're losing the class, we need to be nimble, flexible, and adjust, which just for me really encapsulates what it means to be a dynamic teacher in a really dynamic learning space. I also appreciated that Dr. Woodley reminds teachers that if they're struggling with classroom management, not to take it personally. So many of us have never been trained on classroom management and strategies for classroom management, and particularly teachers who are working in urban or culturally diverse communities. There's a lot happening underneath the surface in terms of cultural expectations and norms, and maybe really where we need to be investing our times is less on trying to control students and more on fostering relationship building in our classrooms as a way to create really positive expectations and interactions in our classroom environments. Our teacher tip today comes from Kristen Badawi. I hope I said your name right. Thank you so much for reaching out on Twitter. And I chose Kristen's tip because it overlaps with something Sean said in this conversation, which is finding a consistent morning routine where you're carving out time for yourself. So Kristen says she wakes up, she works out, she enjoys her tea. And then on her commute to work, she listens to a podcast, a a self-help podcast on the way to work. And what I love about Kristen's tip is she's making time for herself at the beginning of the day. And as Dr. Woodley said in our conversation, it's so easy to set that alarm, bound out of bed, and immediately start diving into our day or immediately kind of getting into a caretaker role, whether that's caretaking for aging parents who live with you or whether it is caring for kids or just really demanding pets. I know I have a cat that wants her cuddles every single morning as soon as my eyes open. So how are we creating a little you time routine in the morning, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes where you can kind of center yourself, have a few moments that are just for you. And man, if you can squeeze a podcast into your morning commute, That sounds amazing, whether it's self-help or if you, like me, enjoy a true crime podcast, working one of those into your day just so you can relax, have a little mental break or mentally stimulated by whatever the podcast content is. If you have a tip that you think would help other teachers to find more balance in their day, in their practice, find me on Twitter at Catlin underscore Tucker. I would love to feature your tip on a future episode of The Balance. Thank you to StudySync for producing and sponsoring this podcast. StudySync is committed to helping teachers find balance in their lives by providing them with a robust multimedia ELA platform that simplifies lesson planning, automatically differentiates tasks for learners at different skill levels and language proficiencies, and blends online and offline engagement to help students develop as thinkers, readers, writers, and speakers. StudySync's most recently released product, Sync Blasts, expands the company's scope to include an emerging supplemental digital inquiry solution for social studies and science classrooms. 
Visit studysync.com for more information or visit the link in our show notes. By the way, the views expressed in this podcast are my own. Thanks again for listening in.